Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve. For those of you online and those of you who are here who haven't really uh, been uh, following what has been taking place, over the last few weeks we have been uh, doing a series which is called uh, The Lessons That We Learn. And it is based on the thought that in the New Testament there are statements that some of the writers make about Old Testament characters and they kind of reveal some things about the personalities of those people and, and it invites us to kind of take a look and challenge us because there are some things that are written that are unique about them that perhaps we miss when we hear them in the Old Testament. And they emphasize certain things. And, and this particular time, it is talking about um, powerful, persistent prayer. If there is a weapon that we have that is most effective that the world doesn't have, it is that of prayer. Like you stop and take a look. The Bible talks about this all the time. There were watershed moments in the history of the church and in the Old Testament in the history of Israel where prayer was the thing that had delivered the people through particularly difficult times. We read about it in Acts chapter 12 when Peter uh, is about to be killed. He's in prison and God miraculously moves as the people of God pray. But that's not the only time that we see it. We see it also in the book of Acts as the, first, the, first, the church sends out the first missionary journey. They prayed and they fasted and then the Holy Spirit sent them out. We read about it again as the Ephesian church is praying for Paul as he's about to go into Jerusalem. And, and Paul already knew that he was probably going to be facing some type of persecution at that particular time. And they pray for him. If you have an opportunity and you want to do a study sometime... As you read through the book of the Gospels, put a check mark beside every time you read that Jesus, the Son of God, retreats and prays. It happens all the time. Famous Old Testament prayers, the prayer of Moses where God reveals himself and, and he sees the, almost like the back of God. And, and there's the, the time where Abraham plays over, over Sodom and Gomorrah and over his, his nephew Lot and there's the prayer of Elijah over the prophets of Baal, we're going to be kind of talking about him. I'm just basically saying this. The most powerful weapon that we have is our prayer. The other thing is this. It, it is probably the most underutilized prayer, the most underutilized weapon. And there's a reason for that, isn't there? Because it's simple, and yet it's kind of hard. They don't see the results right away. That they different many times when I'm praying for God to do this, he kind of answers it, but not the way that I want him to answer it. And sometimes they don't happen in the time. In a, in a, in a, a perseverance, or a, perseverance is a difficult thing in an age of instantaneous results. And sometimes we come to the conclusion that God works so slow that we think he's a no-show. But nothing could be further from the truth. And whenever I talk about prayer, I find it. And maybe it's just me. I find when I give a sermon on prayer, there's this kind of corporate bracing time. Another message on prayer. And the one side of it is that, yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray. And I have probably heard, this might be, Pastor Mike, the 400th sermon that I have heard on prayer. And I doubt very much that you will be able to say something that I don't already know. 
The other side is this. There's this guilt complex in us that whenever we talk about prayer, there is something in us as saints, of people who know Jesus, that says, I know that I'm not praying as much as I need to be praying. And all of a sudden, there's this level of guilt that enters us, the fact that I don't do it enough, and, uh, and, and it, it becomes a frustration. And it's almost like I'm ripping off a scab that is kind of already there. Because all of us kind of know that that's an important thing to do. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that, that we need to be praying. And, and what is it that causes me not to be praying? And I've said this a number of times before, but for those who might be listening for the first time, it's this. That the greatest and the most aggressive forms of spiritual battle will happen along the lines of prayer. Many times we think of spiritual battle as people being demon-possessed and speaking uh, in another language somewhat that is, is conjured up by the devil and people spinning around and frothing at the mouth. I don't believe that that's spiritual battle or where the front lines of spiritual battle are at all. I think the devil will put his forces in the place where he is most liable, where he is most damaged. And it'll be in that area of prayer. Prayer is a discipline, spiritual discipline, but it is also a spiritual battle. And so James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, ends his book, ends the book of James talking about this. It's very interesting how he does it. Now, James, for those of you who don't know, was the pastor of Jerusalem. Like, he was a pretty influential guy at that particular time. And when Jesus is your brother, I can kind of figure that. But he was known by a particular name. He had a nickname, and it was this, Camel Knees. That's what his nickname was. And the thought was about James was the fact that he prayed so much that his knees had actually become disfigured, it had become calloused, that, that calcium deposits were there created by the amount of time that he prayed. So this is a guy who might know what he's talking about. And so... What exactly is he saying? He talks about prayer, but he introduces an Old Testament character. And he says it after perhaps the most quoted verse in the book of James. And then afterwards, he kind of ends it with something which I think is particular, but I believe that Elijah is the bridge between the one thought and the other. So, if you have your Bibles with me, if you have your Bible apps open at this particular time, turn with me to James chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to be mentioning a, a number of them, a number of the verses, so that you get an, an idea of the context, because it reveals a lot. And I'll start at verse 16. I know, I know I only have verse 17 and 18 up there, but let me start at verse 16. It says, therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We have all heard that passage of scripture quoted at least once or twice in our lives. And right away it says in verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. Then verse 19 and 20, he ends with these two verses. 
My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone would bring them back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The end. Isn't that kind of peculiar about the book of James? It's almost like, hey, did we miss a chapter there? Somehow did they, did they forget to put a chapter in there? You know, when Paul always, he, he always writes his letters, he says, oh, greet one another with a holy kiss, and, and, and my brother Epaphroditus, make sure that you say hi to them, and Sosthenes, who's with me, and, and Epaphras, who are with me, are saying these things, and, and make sure you talk to this person and that. You ever read that? But, but James is different, man. He says what he wants, and then he just drops the mic, walks off the stage. It's interesting, isn't it? The reason that he does. And um, he reveals not just that we should pray, but what he reveals is, why do you pray? That's maybe a good question to ask ourselves. Why, why do you pray? The obvious answer from many of us is, because I want to get some things from God. That's kind of one of the main reasons. For many of us, is I want to maintain the relationship with God. I want to draw close to Jesus. And the best way to do that is to have communion and communication with him. And so that's how I do it. Some people just say this, my life stinks. And I want it to get better. And I figure that God is somehow involved with that. So God, will you change the stinkage in my life? Whether that's actually a word or not, I don't know. For some of us, is the fact that I want to be healthy spiritually, and the best way for me to be healthy spiritually is to be praying. And I want to be healthy physically, and I certainly want to be healthy emotionally and mentally. And something happens when I pray. I think prayer is the one thing that touches all those four areas of our life, isn't it? That I pray for my health, but I also pray for my emotional health, and particularly today as we have a pandemic of of uh, mental health issues. There's something that happens when I pray. When I come to, to the God who is greater than any kind of problem that I will ever have. I pray for spiritual health, with all kinds of health. I pray because of the battle, because I'm going through something. There's a crisis, there's a health crisis, there's a financial crisis, there is a whatever crisis. I pray because I pray for other people who are in battle. I intercede. My children are going through a difficult time. I'm going to pray for them. What's going through my life is less important than what is taking place in their life. And so I gear and I energize and set my energies on that of other people. To pray for, with, one another, as it says in verse 16. The character will be developed in me. The more I pray, the more I become like Jesus. For wisdom and direction that in everything that you do, there are a number of, dis the number of choices, a number of pathways that you could take. And, and what we do is we pray is, God, I want to take the pathway that you have for me. So we do that. We pray for that wisdom. We pray for the protection of our family. We pray that God's will is done in all of our family. And if all this is true, it leads me also to ask the question, not why do you pray, but why do you not pray? What is the thing that is preventing you from doing it, although you know that all of those other things are true? What prevents me? What holds me back? 
what happened in your life to set you back? Was it disappointment? Was it distraction? Maybe it's depression. But if you give me a few minutes, what I would at least like to do is to re-energize us and provide for us a hope again to pray. Because in the generation and in the time that we are living in, we need the saints to begin to rise and to pray. Amen? So Elijah, kind of a crazy character if you don't know who he is. And, and again, on Sunday morning, I know there's some people who probably know a whole lot more than I do on the subject. But there's some people who perhaps haven't even gone through the Bible. Elijah was a prophet. And the one amazing thing about Elijah is the scripture tells us that he was one of two people in the Bible who did not die, who's just translated into heaven. For that way, for those people who are the prophecy individuals and, and, and have a, an eye for, for end times, they believe that the two witnesses at the end time that appear will be Enoch and Elijah because they're the ones who haven't died yet. Kind of interesting when you consider him. And he comes at a unique time. Ninth century BC, the northern kingdom of Israel has separated from Judah. And they are what is called in a state of apostasy. They have absolutely turned their hearts away from God. And it would appear, if you were to get a picture, a portrait of, of Elijah and all the, the, um, all the pictures that we see of Elijah are of a wild man. You know, because scripture actually says he was kind of a hairy guy. He was from a place called Tishba. He was not what you would call a metropolitan type of guy. Probably had a, 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 a very weathered look. It, talk, it talks about the fact that he was fleet of foot. The guy was a fast runner. I don't know why they said that, but for some reason, that's not, that kind of accounts for something, apparently. But there was all these instances that he spent a lot of time in caves. He had a rugged constitution. He was a Benjamite. And by the time Elijah comes on the scene, the last seven kings before him did not serve God. Bible goes to great lengths to talk about the fact that they were wicked. And so upon this, this, this legacy of kings that chose not to serve Jesus, to walk away from him, comes along an individual called Ahab. And Ahab, the scripture says, did more to incite the anger of God than any other king. Not only that, politically, he marries the queen, which is called Jezebel. And Jezebel did not help the scene. Because when Jezebel comes on the scene, what she does is she institutes Baalism, which is the idolism of that particular day. And what she does is she kills the prophets of Jehovah. And they begin to take over, and she closes down whatever synagogues and churches, and, there's, and in the times where there, there perhaps is, it's a mixture of Baalism and, and the Judaism, which is no, it's, it's nothing in there. And so along comes this guy, this name's Elijah. Now, Elijah, the word Elijah, comes from two words, Elohim and Yahweh, Jehovah. So it basically says this, Jehovah is God. That's his name. In the midst where they say Baal is God, he comes with the actual name that says Jehovah is God. Now that would make some people angry if all of a sudden you're going against the flow in such a way that your name actually says it. Wouldn't you think? 
Kind of be like, name me your kid, punch me in the face. If you called your kid, punch me in the face, chances are they would get in a couple of fights. Wouldn't it be? And so this is kind of interesting about him. And Ahab hates Elijah for what he stands for and what he does. Because what happens is God speaks to Elijah and says to him, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And someone said to me, why is it? Why was it that? Did he just kind of want the king to get thirsty? Well, no. Baal at that time was the god of the harvest. He was the god of fertility. And so what happens to a god of fertility when it doesn't rain for three and a half years? Well, what happens is it exposes the fact that that God is not really God. And so this was the, the, the story of what had happened to Elijah. And so here's the thing that James wants us to know about Elijah. First thing is this, that Elijah was prone to human frailty. Now, it says in an NIV, he's just kind of human like each of us. I like the way the King James puts it. The King James puts it says, he was a man subject to like passions as we are. I think that's kind of a, a more graphic term for describing who Elijah was. And, and that's kind of an interesting thing when you think about it. And some of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament are seen under the ministry of Elijah. He declares this drought. He is miraculously fed by ravens and then later on is miraculously fed and, and delivers a widow and her son as well. This isn't just the first thing that happens. There is the showdown that happens between Baals and Elijah. And, and, and they, there's a contest, and who's going to be the one where they, they burn the altars? Who's going to show who Elijah is? And, this, and as the Baals do not see God move, their God move, Elijah begins to taunt them. You know, original language says this, where's your God? Is your God in the bathroom? That's basically the original, that's the, the literal, he says. Is your, is, your, is, your, is your God on the throne, so to speak? And then when it's Elijah's turn, he says this. Douse it with water. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. If someone is saying douse it with water, there was not a lot of water left at that particular time. So you see that God somehow overcomes and works and does this, this incredible thing. And so he had all these wonderful things, great bold things that he does. Yet right after it happens... 1 Kings chapter 19, he also shows that he's afraid. And he runs for fear. And after all this happens, it says he became depressed. And it wasn't just a bummed out depression. It wasn't just, this is just terrible. I feel really bad and I'm feeling low. It is one of those, I'm climbing under a tree and I'm saying, God, just kill me. And so you see this guy who was subject to these great times and at the same time, he stooped to huge low times as well. There are these severe extremes that happen. And, and he went through times where he realized that he was, he was visually different. And he acted different. And he lived different. And there were times of loneliness where he was by himself. It was either extremely high or it was very low. He had the ups and he had the downs. And, and someone who might look at his life would say, hey, this guy might be bipolar. And I'm not too sure. 
if he was or if he wasn't. All I realize is this, and this should encourage you, that you might be an up and down type of individual, or there might be something else that prevents you from thinking you can do anything for God. But God works through our failness, frailness, and that perfection is not a requirement for God to move through us. And that should be the encouragement for you today. Until I get to heaven, there will always be a reason that God shouldn't work in my life. There's always something that God is working on me, whether it is impatience, whether it is anger, whether it is a number of things that are taking place and all of the imperfections that are in my life. God still somehow uses me despite me, and he will work in you through you. And all this all these things happened in his life. God not only asked him to move once, but asked, asked Elijah for a number of difficult things. And I've come to discover this, and maybe you have as well. That the times that I am at my lowest, it seems to me that God shines his brightest. That there have been times where things have happened to me and I've had to get up and speak. I've had to get up and lead and my heart has been aching over something or something has challenged me. And I've just kind of said, God, I'm just tired of everything. And in those times, I've seen that God has carried me. And that reveals something to me. Let me just say something to you. It might be for one or two people who are here today. That somehow there has been a thought or a teaching that says, well, you know what? All God wants for us is, his, is, is our best. Well, I tried. And you know, you know the Bible says that God, God just wants my best. And I'm not too sure if I see that in scripture because there will be times in your life when your best is not enough. There are times in ministry where I come to the realization that my best is not enough. I can pastor a church and be successful at my best. God doesn't necessarily ask us for his best, but what he asks and what God is looking for is for him to do his best through us. That God is calling you to do his best through you. He was prone to human frailty. Here's the other thing. This is where it gets interesting, folks. Not only was he prone to human frailty, um, he was also, uh, if, we, if we have the next slide up there, he was also particular to our day. Now, remember the first time that I mentioned that, that he was... Um, he was, in, in terms, he was subject to the like passions as we are. If you take a look at that phrase in the original Greek, it literally says this, that he was a man similar, man of similar suffering, which makes sense. He kind of went through the same things that we do as well. But it could also refer and also allude to another fact, that what you are going through today is when he went through yesterday. That what happened, you know, 3,000 years ago is still happening today. The challenges that went on in his life also go on in your life. Does that make sense? You, you think Elijah could be a lens into the days that we live in now. He comes on the scene after generations of wicked kings and Jezebel institutes Baal worship. And Elijah, at Israel's darkest hour, begins to pray against the idol of his generation. You stop and think that we went through a time where our worship institutions were closed. At that time, 
the worship institutions were closed. And I'm not going to compare Jezebel to our day because in our day there was a virus that we were fighting that nobody knew anything about. And it was hard for anybody to make a decision which they knew was right or wrong. So don't think that I'm trying to compare what was taking place a year ago to what was happening at Jezebel time. They are different, obviously. But I'll say this. There still is a spirit of Jezebel in our community, in our society today. There certainly is a current in our society today that would like to shut things down. There is an anti-Christian sentiment that we have to be aware of, that we know of. A spirit and a time in our generation where there are the gods of materialism and sexuality and self-worship. And if you take a look at what was happening at Baal worship, they had temple prostitution, they had all kinds of weird things which are taking place. And so there is a similarity. And Elijah's prayer was based on the fact that God, you need to do something about the conditions which are happening today. And let me just say this, and it's an important thing for us to understand, that Elijah doesn't pray for God's will for his life. What he prays for is God's will. Do you notice the difference between the one and the other? Because many times we pray, God, what is your will for my life? And that becomes a self-focused prayer. But if we change that prayer to say this, God, what is your will? Because if I know what your will is, I will go to that. And I will see God move and God do tremendous things. And so he prays that it doesn't rain to expose the fact that the God of fertility was not actually the God of fertility. So Elijah, by praying for a drought, was praying that God would expose the futility of the God of this age. And as I think about how that transfers into today, that God has called us to pray against the futility of the gods of our age. That if you engage in those gods, that you will become thirsty. In every generation, there is a philosophy, a bale, as you would say, that seeks to take over. However, without God, it brings drought into their lives. And if you take a look at the context of James, I think this makes sense. He talks about the fact that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful, is powerful and effective. And, and then he talks about Elijah. Just take a look at Elijah. He prayed and his community was changed. And people who were wandering away from God come back to God. Take a look back at James. Well, if anybody is wandering from God, you who are spiritual will restore those individuals. There is a bridge between, between James talking about prayer and the fact that there are wandering people in our society. And Elijah is the bridge that talks about that. That there's something special about this particular individual that we need to lean and learn about today. Because we're living in a time where the foundations are crumbling. We're living in a time where we just become depressed when we see that God is not the God that he was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so do we give up? James says no. Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And it wasn't a perfect guy. It was a person just like you and me. And at that time, Elijah, before God reveals it to him, thinks that he is the only one serving Jesus. And so whatever situation you are in or we are in as the church corporately, 
God calls on us through our prayers to expose the idols of our day. And in doing that, those who are wandering, and when they use the Greek word wandering in there, it talks about somebody who is lost, so hopefully lost that they can't find themselves. And that brings encouragement to me, and at least an encouragement to us as the church, that what we have, despite what is happening in our world today, what we have is absolutely powerful. The last thing is this, Elijah's prayer is passionate, powerful, and persistent. Kind of wish he would have told me how Elijah did it, don't you? Well, this is how he prayed. He kind of got up in the morning. He recited these prayers in the middle of the night. He kind of would do this. This is is how he did it. You know, God never, ever tells us really, like it's the Lord's Prayer where he gives us a bit of a a format, kind of an idea as to what you do for it. But he doesn't say you have to pray at night. You have to pray in the morning. You have to pray on your knees. You have to say this, particularly when you pray sort of thing. He leaves that up to ourselves. You can't reduce prayer to a book. Prayer comes from the heart, doesn't he? There was something that affected me. I, I remember, and I, I've always held on to the same. And I've used it every once in a while in my sermons. And it is a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. And it encourages me as a pastor. It says this, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The next line. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few are fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. And so what happens is there is an encouragement. And I believe that James, as he is saying all these things, is not saying anything to discourage anybody, but is revealing to us again the fact that no matter what has happened in your life and how God may not have answered things the way he did before, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective to the point that a lost world is calling out because the gods that are presented to them are empty. And God is calling the church to rise. You and me, well, not me. I got too many things in my life. Well, Elijah had lots of things in his life. Well, I'm going to wait till I'm perfect before I do. Well, God moved in Elijah despite his imperfections. Situation is way too bad. My kids are far too gone. I stopped praying for my kids. Well, hold on a second. This guy Elijah was just like you. He prayed, didn't rain for three and a half years. Why should I pray for the schools? It's way too far gone. Why should I pray for the government? It's way too far gone. James says, no, it's not. Whatever situation you're in, whatever situation has happened in your life, whatever challenges in your life which says, I just stopped praying. There's no use in it. James says, no. You have a power in you despite 
what you are going through, despite what challenges you are taking place in your life, that is powerful and effective. And you need to be encouraged. And, and James says, if I can encourage you in any way, begin again to call on his name. Begin to call on his name for your lost kids. Begin to call on his name for an educational system which we feel may be swaying in the wrong direction, for a government that needs to look to God again, to a sickness that you may have and it is so bleak right now that you think there's nothing I can do about it. Pray, pray, pray. God, move in a powerful way. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that there will be, there will be uh, the presence of God that will move, that will exceed the diversions that we have, that will go past the deadlines that are on our plate, the distractions that we have, the depression that we're going through. And I just pray, God, that you will do something powerful in our lives. I pray that we leave this place not guilt-ridden, not discouraged, but encouraged by the fact that God can still use me and God still desires to use me. And there's nothing that anybody can do to keep me from praying. I can do it no matter what. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that forever, whoever this message was for, God, that Lord, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit will be upon them and that God, the, the challenge of the Holy Spirit will be upon us. We just pray, Father, that you will bless the rest of our day. Lord, I pray for a blessing on the food that we have, on the pie and on the soup as we eat it and as we join in fellowship, God. But Lord, just, I just pray for the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to do great things in our midst as we go ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.